section sixteen of hans christian andersen fairy tales and short stories volume four this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by k hand hans christian andersen fairy tales and short stories volume four eighteen fifty four to eighteen fifty nine by hans christian andersen translated by h p paul the marsh king's daughter part one the storks relate to their little ones a great many stories and they are all about moors and reed banks and suited to their age and capacity the youngest of them are quite satisfied with cribble crabble or such nonsense and think it very grand but the elder ones want something with a deeper meaning or at least something about their own family we are only acquainted with one of the two longest and oldest stories which the storks relate it is about moses who was exposed by his mother on the banks of the nile and was found by the king's daughter who gave him a good education and he afterwards became a great man but where he was buried is still unknown every one knows this story but not the second very likely because it is quite an inland story it has been repeated from mouth to mouth from one stork mamma to another for thousands of years and each had told it better than the last and now we mean to tell it better than all the first stork pair who related it lived at the time it happened and had their summer residence on the rafters of the vikings footnote sea kings or pirates of the north end footnote house which stood near the wild moorlands of wencesle that is to speak more correctly the great moorheath high up in the north of jutland by the skagen peak this wilderness is still an immense wild heath of marshy ground about which we can read in the official directory it is said that in olden times the place was a lake the ground of which had heaved up from beneath and now the moorland extends for miles in every direction and is surrounded by damp meadows trembling undulating swamps and marshy ground covered with turf on which grow bilberry bushes and stunted trees mists are almost always hovering over this region which seventy years ago was overrun with wolves it may well be called the wild moor and one can easily imagine with such a wild expanse of marsh and lake how lonely and dreary it must have been a thousand years ago many things may be noticed now that existed then the reeds grow to the same height and bear the same kind of long purple-brown leaves with their feathery tips there still stands the birch with its white bark and its delicate loosely hanging leaves and with regard to the living beings who frequented this spot the fly still wears a gauzy dress of the same cut and the favorite colors of the stork are white with black and red for stockings the people certainly in those days wore very different dresses to those they now wear but if any of them be he huntsman or squire master or servant ventured on the wavering undulating marshy ground of the moor they met with the same fate a thousand years ago as they would now the wanderer sank and went down to the marsh king as he is named who rules in the great moorland empire beneath they also called him gunkle king but we like the name of marsh king better and we will give him that name as the storks do very little is known of the marsh king's rule but that perhaps is a good thing in the neighborhood of the moorlands and not far from the great arm of the north sea and the cataget which is called the lumfjordan lay the castle of the viking with its watertight stone cellars its tower and its three projecting stories on the ridge of the roof the stork had built his nest and there the stork mamma sat on her eggs and felt sure her hatching would come to something one evening stork papa stayed out rather late and when he came home he seemed quite busy bustling and important i have something very dreadful to tell you said he to the stork mamma 
keep it to yourself then she replied remember that i am hatching eggs it may agitate me and will affect them you must know it at once said he the daughter of our host in egypt has arrived here she has ventured to take this journey and now she is lost she who sprung from the race of the fairies is it cried the mother stork oh tell me all about it you know i cannot bear to be kept waiting at a time when i am hatching eggs well you see mother he replied she believed what the doctors said and what i have heard you state also that the more flowers which grow about here would heal her sick father and she has flown to the north in swan's plumage in company with some other swan princesses who come to these parts every year to renew their youth she came and where is she now you enter into particulars too much said the mamma stork and the eggs may take cold i cannot bear such suspense as this well said he i have kept watch and this evening i went among the rushes where i thought the marshy ground would bear me and while i was there three swans came something in their manner of flying seemed to say to me look carefully now there is one not all swan only swan's feathers you know mother you have the same intuitive feeling that i have you know whether a thing is right or not immediately yes of course said she but tell me about the princess i am tired of hearing about the swan's feathers well you know that in the middle of the moor there is something like a lake said the stork papa you can see the edge of it if you raise yourself a little just there by the reeds and the green banks lay the trunk of an elder tree upon this the three swans stood flapping their wings and looking about them one of them threw off her plumage and i immediately recognized her as one of the princesses of our home in egypt there she sat without any covering but her long black hair i heard her tell the two others to take great care of the swan's plumage while she dipped down into the water to pluck the flowers which she fancied she saw there the others nodded and picked up the feather dress and took possession of it i wonder what will become of it thought i and she most likely asked herself the same question if so she received an answer a very practical one for the two swans rose up and flew away with her swan's plumage dive down now they cried thou shalt never more fly in the swan's plumage thou shalt never again see egypt here on the moor thou wilt remain so saying they tore the swan's plumage into a thousand pieces the feathers drifted about like a snow shower and then the two deceitful princesses flew away why that is terrible said the stork mamma i feel as if i could hardly bear to hear any more but you must tell me what happened next the princess wept and lamented aloud her tears moistened the elder stump which was really not an elder stump but the marsh king himself he who in marshy ground lives and rules i saw myself how the stump of the tree turned round and was a tree no more while long clammy branches like arms were extended from it then the poor child was terribly frightened and started up to run away she hastened across the green slimy ground but it will not bear any weight much less hers she quickly sank and the elder stump dived immediately after her in fact it was he who drew her down great black bubbles rose up out of the moor slime and with these every trace of the two vanished and now the princess is buried in the wild marsh she will never now carry flowers to egypt to cure her father it would have broken your heart mother had you seen it you ought not have told me said she at such a time as this the eggs might suffer but i think the princess will soon find help some one will rise up to help her ah if it had been you or i or one of our people it would have been all over with us i mean to go every day said he to see if anything comes to pass and so he did a long time went by but at last he saw a green stalk shooting out of the deep marshy ground 
as it reached the surface of the marsh a leaf spread out and unfolded itself broader and broader and close to it came forth a bud one morning when the stork papa was flying over the stem he saw that the power of the sun's rays had caused the bud to open and in the cup of the flower lay a charming child a little maiden looking as if she had just come out of a bath the little one was so like the egyptian princess that the stork at the first moment thought it must be the princess herself but after a little reflection he decided that it was much more likely to be the daughter of the princess and the marsh king and this explained also her being placed in the cup of a water lily but she cannot be left to lie here thought the stork and in my nest there are already so many but stay i have thought of something the wife of the viking has no children and how often she has wished for a little one people always say the stork brings the little ones i will do so in earnest this time i shall fly with the child to the viking's wife what rejoicing there will be and then the stork lifted the little girl out of the flower cup flew to the castle picked a hole with his beak in the bladder covered window and laid the beautiful child in the bosom of the viking's wife then he flew back quickly to the stork mamma and told her what he had seen and done and the little storks listened to it all for they were then quite old enough to do so so you see he continued that the princess is not dead for she must have sent her little one up here and now i have found a home for her ah i said it would be so from the first replied the stork mamma but now think a little of your own family our travelling time draws near and i sometimes feel a little irritation already under the wings the cuckoos and the nightingale are already gone and i heard the quail say they should go too as soon as the wind was favourable our youngsters will go through all the manoeuvres at the review very well or i am much mistaken in them the viking's wife was above measure delighted when she awoke the next morning and found the beautiful child lying in her bosom she kissed it and caressed it but it cried terribly and struck out with its arms and legs and did not seem to be pleased at all at last it cried itself to sleep and as it lay there so still and quiet it was a most beautiful sight to see the viking's wife was so delighted that body and soul were full of joy her heart felt so light within her that it seemed as if her husband and his soldiers who were absent must come home as suddenly and unexpectedly as the little child had done she and her whole household therefore busied themselves in preparing everything for the reception of her lord the long-coloured tapestry on which she and her maidens had worked pictures of their idols odin thor and frigga was hung up the slaves polished the old shields that served as ornaments cushions were placed on the seats and dry wood laid in the fireplace in the centre of the hall so that the flames might be fanned up at a moment's notice the viking's wife herself assisted in the work so that at night she felt very tired and quickly fell into a sound sleep when she awoke just before morning she was terribly alarmed to find that the infant had vanished she sprang from her couch lighted a pine chip and searched all round the room when at last in that part of the bed where her feet had been lay not the child but a great ugly frog she was quite disgusted at this sight and seized a heavy stick to kill the frog but the creature looked at her with such strange mournful eyes that she was unable to strike the blow once more she searched round the room then she started at hearing the frog utter a low painful croak she sprang from the couch and opened the window hastily at the same moment the sun rose and threw its beams through the window till it rested on the couch where the great frog lay suddenly it appeared as if the frog's broad mouth contracted and became small and red the limbs moved and stretched out and extended themselves till they took a beautiful shape and behold there was the pretty child lying before her and the ugly frog was gone how is this she cried have i had a wicked dream is it not my own lovely cherub that lies there 
then she kissed it and fondled it but the child struggled and fought and bit as if she had been a little wild cat the viking did not return on that day nor the next he was however on the way home but the wind so favorable to the storks was against him for it blew toward the south a wind in favor of one is often against the other after two or three days had passed it became clear to the viking's wife how matters stood with the child it was under the influence of a powerful sorcerer by day it was charming in appearance as an angel of light but with a temper wicked and wild while at night in the form of an ugly frog it was quiet and mournful with eyes full of sorrow here were two natures changing inwardly and outwardly with the absence and return of sunlight and so it happened that by day the child with the actual form of its mother possessed the fierce disposition of its father at night on the contrary its outward appearance plainly showed its descent on the father's side while inwardly it had the heart and mind of its mother who would be able to loosen this wicked charm which the sorcerer had worked upon it the wife of the viking lived in constant pain and sorrow about it her heart clung to the little creature but she could not explain to her husband the circumstances in which it was placed he was expected to return shortly and were she to tell him he would very likely as was the custom at that time expose the poor child in the public highway and let any one take it away who would the good wife of the viking could not let that happen and she therefore resolved that the viking should never see the child excepting by daylight one morning there sounded a rushing of storks wings over the roof more than a hundred pair of storks had rested there during the night to recover themselves after their excursion and now they soared aloft and prepared for the journey southward all the husbands are here and ready they cried wives and children also how light we are screamed the young storks in chorus something pleasant seems creeping over us even down to our toes as if we were full of live frogs ah how delightful it is to travel in foreign lands hold yourselves properly in the line with us cried papa and mamma do not use your beak so much it tries the lungs and then the storks flew away about the same time sounded the clang of the warriors trumpets across the heath the viking had landed with his men they were returning home richly laden with spoil from the gallic coast where the people as did also the inhabitants of britain often cried in alarm deliver us from the wild northmen life and noisy pleasure came with them into the castle of the viking on the moorland a great cask of mead was drawn into the hall piles of wood blazed cattle were slain and served up that they might feast in reality the priest who offered the sacrifice sprinkled the devoted parishioners with the warm blood the fire crackled and the smoke rolled along beneath the roof the soot fell upon them from the beams but they were used to all these things guests were invited and received handsome presents all wrongs and unfaithfulness were forgotten they drank deeply and threw in each other's faces the bones that were left which was looked upon as a sign of good feeling amongst them a bard who was a kind of musician as well as a warrior and who had been with the viking in his expedition and knew what to sing about gave them one of his best songs in which they heard all their warlike deeds praised and every wonderful action brought forth with honor every verse ended with this refrain golden possessions will flee away friends and foes must die one day every man on earth must die but famous name will never die and with that they beat upon their shields and hammered upon the table with knives and bones in a most outrageous manner the viking's wife sat upon a raised cross seat in the open hall she wore a silk dress golden bracelets and large amber beads she was in costly attire and the bard named her in his song and spoke of the rich treasure of gold which she had brought to her husband her husband had already seen the wonderfully beautiful child in the daytime and was delighted with her beauty even her wild ways pleased him he said the little maiden would grow up to be a heroine with the strong will and determination of a man 
she would never wink her eyes even if in joke an expert hand should attempt to cut off her eyebrows with a sharp sword the full cask of mead soon became empty and a fresh one was brought in for these were people who liked plenty to eat and drink the old proverb which every one knows says that the cattle know when to leave their pasture but a foolish man knows not the measure of his own appetite yes they all knew this but men may know what is right and yet often do wrong they also knew that even the welcome guest becomes wearisome when he sits too long in the house but there they remained for pork and mead are good things and so at the viking's house they stayed and enjoyed themselves and at night the bondmen slept in the ashes and dipped their fingers in the fat and licked them oh it was a delightful time once more in the same year the viking went forth though the storms of autumn had already commenced to roar he went with his warriors to the coast of britain he said that it was but an excursion of pleasure across the water so his wife remained at home with the little girl after a while it is quite certain the foster mother began to love the poor frog with its gentle eyes and its deep sighs even better than the little beauty who bit and fought with all around her the heavy damp mists of autumn which destroyed the leaves of the wood had already fallen upon forest and heath feathers of plucked birds as they call snow flew about in thick showers and winter was coming the sparrows took possession of the stork's nest and conversed about the absent owners in their own fashion and they the stork pair and all their young ones where were they staying now the storks might have been found in the land of egypt where the sun's rays shone forth bright and warm as it does here at midsummer tamarinds and acacias were in full bloom all over the country the crescent of mahomet glittered brightly from the cupolas of the mosques and on the slender pinnacles sat many of the storks resting after their long journey swarms of them took divided possession of the nests nests which lay close to each other beneath the venerable columns and crowded the arches of the temples in forgotten cities the date and the palm lifted themselves as a screen or as a sunshade over them the gray pyramids looked like broken shadows in the clear air and the far-off desert where the ostrich wheels his rapid flight and the lion with his subtle eyes gazes at the marble sphinx which lies half buried in the sand the waters of the nile had retreated and the whole bed of the river was covered with frogs which was a most acceptable prospect for the stork families the young storks thought their eyes deceived them everything around appeared so beautiful it is always like this here and this is how we live in our warm country said the stork mamma and the thought made the young ones almost beside themselves with pleasure is there anything more to see they asked are we going farther into the country there is nothing farther for us to see answered the stork mamma beyond this delightful region there are immense forests where branches of the trees entwine round each other while prickly creeping plants cover the paths and only an elephant could force a passage for himself with his great feet the snakes are too large and the lizards too lively for us to catch then there is the desert if you went there your eyes would soon be full of sand with the lightest breeze and if it should blow great guns you would most likely find yourself in a sand drift here is the best place for you where there are frogs and locusts here i shall remain and so must you and so they stayed the parents sat in the nest on the slender minaret and rested yet still were busily employed in cleaning and smoothing their feathers and in sharpening their beaks against their red stockings then they would stretch out their necks salute each other and gravely raise their heads with the high polished forehead and soft smooth feathers while their brown eyes shone with intelligence the female young ones strutted about amidst the moist rushes glancing at the other young storks and making acquaintances and swallowing a frog at every third step or tossing a little snake about with their beaks in a way they considered very becoming and besides it tasted very good 
the young male storks soon began to quarrel they struck at each other with their wings and pecked with their beaks till the blood came and in this manner many of the young ladies and gentlemen were betrothed to each other it was of course what they wanted and indeed what they lived for then they returned to a nest and there the quarrelling began afresh for in hot countries people are almost all violent and passionate but for all that it was pleasant especially for the old people who watched them with great joy all that their young ones did suited them every day here there was sunshine plenty to eat and nothing to think of but pleasure but in the rich castle of their egyptian host as they called him pleasure was not to be found the rich and mighty lord of the castle lay on his couch in the midst of the great hall with its many-coloured walls looking like the centre of a great tulip but he was stiff and powerless in all his limbs and lay stretched out like a mummy his family and servants stood round him he was not dead although he could scarcely be said to live the healing moor-flower from the north which was to have been found and brought to him by her who loved him so well had not arrived his young and beautiful daughter who in swan's plumage had flown over land and seas to the distant north had never returned she is dead so the two swan maidens had said when they came home and they made up quite a story about her and this is what they told we three flew away together through the air said they a hunter caught sight of us and shot at us with an arrow the arrow struck our young friend and sister and slowly singing her farewell song she sank down a dying swan into the forest lake on the shores of the lake under a spreading birch tree we laid her in the cold earth we had our revenge we bound fire under the wings of a swallow who had a nest on the thatched roof of the huntsman the house took fire and burst into flames the hunter was burned with the house and the light was reflected over the sea as far as the spreading birch beneath which we laid her sleeping dust she will never return to the land of egypt and then they both wept and stork papa who heard the story snapped with his beak so that it might be heard a long way off deceit and lies cried he i should like to run my beak deep into their chests and perhaps break it off said the mamma stork then what a sight you would be think first of yourself and then of your family all others are nothing to us yes i know said the stork papa but to-morrow i can easily place myself on the edge of the open cupola when the learned and wise men assemble to consult on the state of the sick man perhaps they may come a little nearer to the truth and the learned and wise men assembled together and talked a great deal on every point but the stork could make no sense out of anything they said neither were there any good results from their consultations either for the sick man or for his daughter in the marshy heath when we listen to what people say in this world we shall hear a great deal but it is an advantage to know what has been said and done before when we listen to a conversation the stork did and we know at least as much as he the stork love is a life-giver the highest love produces the highest life only through love can the sick man be cured this had been said by many and even the learned men acknowledged that it was a wise saying what a beautiful thought exclaimed the papa stork immediately i don't quite understand it said the mamma stork when her husband repeated it however it is not my fault but the fault of the thought whatever it may be i have something else to think of now the learned men had spoken also of love between this one and that one of the difference of the love which we have for our neighbor to the love that exists between parents and children of the love of the plant for the light and how the germ springs forth when the sunbeam kisses the ground all these things were so elaborately and learnedly explained that it was impossible for stork papa to follow it much less to talk about it his thoughts on the subject quite weighed him down he stood the whole of the following day on one leg with half-shut eyes thinking deeply so much learning was quite a heavy weight for him to carry 
one thing however the papa stork could understand every one high and low had from their inmost hearts expressed their opinion that it was a great misfortune for so many thousands of people the whole country indeed to have this man so sick with no hopes of his recovery and what joy and blessing it would spread around if he could by any means be cured but where bloomed the flower that could bring him help they had searched for it everywhere in learned writings in the shining stars in the weather and wind inquiries had been made in every byway that could be thought of until at last the wise and learned men has asserted as we have already been told that love the life-giver could alone give new life to a father and in saying this they had overdone it and said more than they understood themselves they repeated it and wrote it down as a recipe love is a life-giver but how could such a recipe be prepared that was a difficulty they could not overcome at last it was decided that help could only come from the princess herself whose whole soul was wrapped up in her father especially as a plan had been adopted by her to enable her to obtain a remedy end of the marsh king's daughter part one